text on the dad with the prom picture and the gun. I'm not going to reset it up. you got to listen to the whole show. If you're yeah. not going to listen yeah. to the whole show, I mean, what can I do for you? doesn't seem too much to ask. Two texts we got. One was, there's nothing funny about threatening a minor with a gun. <laughs> then this text. Yes, there is. <laughs> didn't Obama make that same joke with drones? Yes. Yes. Remember that? A yes, drone strike? Because oh, it's yeah. an age-old joke of dads and daughters once they head out into the dating world. Prior to the invention of firearms, I have a feeling it involved axes. Right. Yeah. That's a beautiful lead-in to the uh, following. So uh, there's a guy by the name of Kevin Williamson. He's a writer. Um, he's an editorialist, a thinker, etc. He's worked for a number of different uh, uh, magazines, National Review, um, The Atlantic, uh, for like four days. Uh, he's a conservative guy, but um, he's he's just he's an independent thinker. He's a really great writer, and he 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 is unhesitating in pointing out the foibles of his own side. Um, and this is the end of a rather long piece he wrote for the Wall Street Journal, which is how I should have teased this. Where my writing appears is not very important or interesting. What matters more is the issue of how the rage-fueled tribalism of social media, especially Twitter, has infected the op-ed pages and to some extent the rest of journalism. Twitter is about offering markers of affiliation or markers of disaffiliation. The left shouts racist. The right shouts fake news. There isn't much that can be done about this other than treating social media with the low regard it deserves. Without credible journalism, all we have is the Twitter mob, which is a jealous god. Jealous and kind of stupid. Now, that's the end of his piece. Here's what he's talking about. He wrote for the National Review and was an editor there for 10 years when he was hired away by Jeffrey Goldberg, who's the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. And and Goldberg was a, a rock star at The New York Times. And, and I know his act very well. Yeah, and he's a constant presence on cable news. The rest of it, he's seen as a real intellectual and uh, he wrote for The New Yorker, blah, blah, blah. He's definitely an intellectual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's an interesting guy, too. Um. And he talks about how he was chatting with uh, Goldberg uh, at the South by Southwest conference in Austin. This is pretty amusing stuff. You know, he said, the campaign to have me fired will begin 11 seconds after you announce that you've hired me, I told him. He scoffed. It won't be that bad. He said, the Atlantic isn't the New York Times. It isn't high church for liberals. So they're referencing when Brett Stevens got hired off from the Wall Street Journal for the New York Times and people went crazy. Right. To even have an alternate view printed on their website mm-hmm. slash paper, which, by the way, if you're an astute sort, you're, you've already realized that's kind of our point here. But the purported reason, well, okay, so his first piece appeared on April the 12th, uh, I'm sorry, April the 2nd. He was fired on April the 5th. The purported reason for our parting ways, Mr. Goldberg put it in his announcement, was nothing that I'd written for The Atlantic. The problem was a six-word, four-year-old tweet on abortion and capital punishment and a discussion of that tweet in a subsequent podcast. Um, He had responded to a familiar pro-abortion argument that pro-lifers should not be taken seriously, that abortion is the willful taking of an innocent human life unless we are ready to punish women who get abortions with long prison sentences. It's a silly argument, so I responded with the words... Um, not long pri- uh, in, instead of long prison sentences, I had hanging more in mind. Trollish and hostile, I'll cop to that. Although his subsequent conversations online and on the podcast indicated to say nothing of the few million words of my published writing available to the reading public, I am generally opposed to capital punishment. I was making a point about the sloppy rhetoric of the abortion debate, et cetera, et cetera. So he basically made a bad joke. Right. 
Um, for all the chatter today about diversity of viewpoint and the need for open discourse, there aren't very many people on the pro-choice side, in my experience, who are ready to talk candidly about the reality of abortion. Then he talks about, you know, the reality of abortion. Um, which brings us back to the event South by Southwest. Uh, spot, uh, the Atlantic was sponsoring a panel about marginalized points of view and diversity in journalism. The panelists, all Atlantic writers and editors, argued that the cultural and economic decks are stacked against feminists and advocates of minority interests. They made this argument under the prestigious high-profile auspices of South by Southwest and their own magazine, hosted by a feminist group called Female Quotient, which enjoys the patronage of Google, PepsiCo, AT&T, NBC Universal, Facebook, UBS, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Deloitte. We should all be so marginalized. If you want to know who actually has the power in our society and who is actually marginalized, ask which ideas get you sponsorships from Google and Pepsi and which get you fired. Good one. I think that is a really powerful sentence. Um, And then, so, then he talks about his discussions with Goldberg and how Goldberg didn't think it'd be that big a deal. But then he mentions, on March 22nd, the Atlantic announced it had hired me and three others as contributors to its new section for ideas, opinions, and commentary, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here's the really scary part, my friends. And here's the part that I, I read the last part first for about journalism and Twitter and the rest of it. Activists claim dishonestly that I wanted to see every fourth woman in the country lynched. It's estimated that one in four American women will have an abortion by the age of 45. Blah, blah, blah. Really? Yeah, which surprised me. I didn't, yeah, that's unbelievable. a shocking statistic, but worth knowing if it's true, and I don't know that it's true. But listen to this. Opinion pieces denouncing me appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the New Republic, Slate, the Huffington Post, Mother Jones, the Guardians, and other publications. The, remar- the remarkable fact about all this commentary on my supposedly horrifying views on abortion is that not a single writer from any of those famous publications took the time to ask me about the controversy. The sole exception was a reporter from Vox, by the way. Did I think I was being portrayed accurately? Why did I make that outrageous statement? Did I really want to set up gallows despite my long-stated reservations about capital punishment? These are questions that might have occurred to people in the business of asking questions. In preparing this account, I have confirmed my recollection of Mr. Goldberg's statements with Mr. Goldberg himself, by the way. Instead of interviewing the subject of their pieces, they scanned my thousands of articles and found the tidbits that seemed most likely to provoke. I was half amused by progressive activists' claim to have uncovered things that were, after all, published. Goodness knows there's a lot to choose from. He mentioned some of his controversial views. And then he mentions a controversy he got involved in 2014 when he supported Donald Sterling, the owner of the NBA's Los Angeles Clippers. You remember the racist guy? Except that he'd never heard of Donald Sterling. And there were quotes from him on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, really? They were all published by Matt Brunig, a left-wing blogger and progressive think tanker, who says those quotes were actually a parody. Of, of what Kevin Williamson, the sort of things he says. Right. But he attributed them to Kevin Williamson, who had no idea what in the world they were talking about. And again, the press went wild and printed it about what he'd said and the rest of it, never calling him and asking him, did you say that? Mr. Brunig, here's your punchline, is a contributor to the Atlantic, right, the Atlantic Monthly right now. The guy who did that to Kevin Williamson. So... 
I've been reading Kevin for years. So they actually fired him, though. Yeah, they fired him. Too much heat. Too much heat. So the Atlantic caved on having this guy on staff, knowing the falsehood of a lot of the charges, knowing the utter lack of research done by all the opinion pieces printed across America and around the world, and knowing that all that falsehood was fueling the the Twitter rage. That's surprising to me just because I've watched gazillions of interviews with Jeffrey Goldberg, and he's a a pretty top-notch dude um, in terms of his understanding of the world and everything. There must have been tremendous pressure. Like advertisers, right. Uh, right. Uh, uh, people who donate money, whatever, something like that. Yeah. Well, and listen, it would be a real talk show hosty thing for me to demand that Jeffrey Goldberg sacrifice his magazine on the altar of standing up for good journalism and the truth and against the Twitter mob. It'd be really easy for me to say that because I'm not running the Atlantic. It'd be easier to say times have changed and this is the climate we live in. And, if you want to run a magazine. And we've got to endure this. Kevin, let's stay in touch. I love you. I'm sorry. I have a feeling that's how it went. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm horrified, and I can't I can't be party to the, the Atlantic and Jeffrey Goldberg doing that. I, and it's I quite amazing. Be. And I'm sure he doesn't care. But my point in bringing this up is not to avenge Kevin Williamson, who most of you have probably never heard of. Um, it's just to let you know how far gone we are. That all those eminent publications, including the New York Times and the WAPO, ran pieces condemning Kevin Williamson and condemning the Atlantic for hiring him and never asked him, are these things true or what did you mean? That's, it's, it's just horrifying to me. You know, the fake out, it, when we go, when the Armstrong and Getty show doesn't exist anymore, I have a feeling it's because the, the fake outrage armies got to somebody um, I certainly hope not, but that's what's going to happen. So I tell you what, y'all, if suddenly we're not here, that's what happened. And look for us on social media, and we'll explain it to you. Um, and, and then who knows? Maybe we can start our podcast where we can drop F-bombs. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. I'm, yeah. bo- I'm bothered by that because um, I, uh, in recent months, said some awful things about a mayor of a particular town. Mm. And then when I was at the city council meeting, I... Uh, I heard this later. It was after I gone, after I left. He mentioned the radio host who excoriated him on the radio without having ever called him to ask what his opinion was or mm. if the quotes were true or anything. And I thought, you know what? You make a point. Mm. You make a point. I never called you. I never actually talked to you. I just went with what I read in a newspaper that you said. One one sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I never assume anybody's extra- listening extrapolated to me. A little I always bit. assume nobody's listening to me. <laughs> We hear what you say. Right, but you know, I don't want to assume it goes anywhere. Yeah. It's not like I'm in the Atlantic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. Anyway. anyway. By uh, the way, and I was going to have Hanson book uh, somebody for the Atlantic cover story this week. It's uh, going to be uncomfortable with your vowing to never. Well, I won't participate in that whoring of the Armstrong and Getty show mm-hmm. that really uh, joining with the forces of ideological Nazism. John Dickerson, the former host of Face the Nation, I didn't realize he lost his job. I didn't miss that story. It's now a, a woman doing it. I thought he got uh, hired to do, what, the morning show? Yeah, or? but I didn't know he yeah. lost the Face the Nation thing when he when he took on. Because Stephanopoulos does the morning show and the weekend show. Mm. 
But anyway, Dickerson got replaced. But he's got the cover story on the Atlantic. The presidency, the hardest job in the world, now requires more than one person. The whole point of the article is um, the presidency has grown to proportions, the way we look at the president, grown to proportions that the founders never expected. Right. And he's not basing it on Trump. He's saying this is the way it's been growing and growing over the years, which we've been saying for years. I thought it would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, I would love to hear that. I'll listen in my car. Nobody intended for the president to be the word on everything, that we just wait to see what they think about things. So when you join in with the Atlantic in the intellectual Nazism of our day, will you be wearing your brown shirt or your full black uniform? Well, how to to argue unfairly. A seminar by Joe Getty. Yeah, it's Thursday night at your local Holiday Inn. <laughs> yeah, that one's already sold out, but just keep keep posting the website. The tickets go fast. you get, yes, you got to get in early. Yes, they do. Reserve your seat. Oh, boy. Do we want to get into what Trump's worth? Because it's going to make some of you mad. But well, it's who pretty, cares? It's pretty interesting. It's funny. You can still like the policies. The guy's quirky. Do Deal we, with it. Do we have some of the audio of him pretending to be? Of course we okay, do. good. This is so good. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. talk about it every year uh, forbes magazine puts out the uh the forbes 400 it's the 400 richest people they usually put out a richest people in the world richest people in america but at the time when they started it in the early 80s it was the 400 richest people in america and um and uh the guy who was the rest of the world doesn't matter and the guy who was involved in putting together to the list um had been contacted by Donald Trump's spokesman at the time. He recorded the phone calls, but Donald Trump's spokesman had said these are off the record. He hadn't thought about it that much until fairly recently. Mm. So for a couple of decades, he didn't realize what was going on here. And he now feels like since he was lied to that he is not um, under any obligation to keep these off the record. Hmm. That's his justification for releasing something that, um, you know, when somebody specifically tells a reporter something's off the record, you're supposed to keep it off the record. But he right. feels like the other end didn't keep up their agreement by misrepresenting who they were and, and all the information that they gave. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, that through for I, a while. I'm not sure I agree with that or not huh. or whatever, but the guy has released the information. Is it better to know going in for everybody? I think it might be more fun to know going in, isn't it? Yes. Well, you unless remember, you want to play, do you recognize this voice? <laughs> you remember during the campaign it came out, I think it was People Magazine and yeah, others, yeah. that Donald Trump had been calling as Donald Trump's publicist, John Miller, to all these magazines and giving him information, but it was Trump. Usually about his dating life. Yeah. The rumors that he was dating this person or singer or was out at the clubs. He'd say, yeah, Mr. Trump uh, wants you to know that... Uh, <laughs> But uh, that's what John Miller did. John Barron, a completely different person who worked for Trump, called this reporter at Forbes 
to make the argument that Trump should be higher on the list of rich people in America. Okay, what's your first name, then? John. 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 Well, let, let, me, let me tell you what the deal is, just so you understand. Okay. Mr. Trump bought, first of all, most of the assets have been consolidated to Mr. Trump, you know, because you have down Fred Trump, and, and, and I'd like to talk to you off the record if I can, just to make your thing easier. Okay, sure. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. All right, but, but I think you can really use Donald Trump now, and, and you can uh, just consolidate. I think last year somebody showed me the article, and I think you had 200 and 200, and really it's been pretty well consolidated now for the most part. As, can as you I, pause I, that, somebody I read this really long article in the Washington Post. It's actually pretty interesting. So um, he and his dad had been on the list. Uh, this was Donald 19- J. Trump and his dad, Fred and Trump. And his yeah. dad, Fred Trump. They had both been on the list as each having $200 million, which uh, it turns out in retrospect is inaccurate since they've gotten access to more records after his dad died and various stuff became public. It was all in his dad's name. Trump Trump was worth, he thinks, somewhere between 2 and $5 million. Wow. It yeah. was basically... All he had was the money that his dad had given him, um, but he had he did no holdings at the time that he was arguing here that he actually is the guy that owns all this stuff and he should be the only name on the list at four hundred million dollars and it's actually a much higher number than that mm. that he's worth at least a billion dollars. Wow. And really, it's been pretty well consolidated now, for the most part. As, as I also think somebody had mentioned that you had asked about that, or somebody had, and it's been pretty well consolidated. Okay? Uh-huh. So that's one point that you can... Uh, uh, that, that is a, now, is that just the... Is that including the residential? Yes. Everything's been consolidated, basically, now. And, and uh, over the last couple of years, they've been working on it. And, and uh, I guess that's sort of come out now. Pretty okay, much come so out that's where... obviously clearly Donald Trump. Right. And I don't yeah. want to run out of time for the rest of this stuff, because it's pretty interesting. Now, the, the guy who wrote this hates Donald Trump. It's the Washington Post. So you have to keep that in mind. But this is pretty solidly researched, it appears, and pretty long... Um, Going over, going through the decades, uh, Trump uh, claimed that he had all these holdings. His dad did up until his dad died. Um, he has made claims about how many apartments he actually has, and the number they they now say was wildly inflated. Uh, instead of twenty eight thousand apartments, for instance, it was more like five thousand, and the value of each of them was way out of whack. Mm. And he he faults himself for not doing a better job in adding these up. He says Trump should have never been on the list all those years. Um, he does he's not close to that. And what bothers him the most is that Donald Trump calling in as his own publicist, convincing the guy of this stuff, him not checking it out better, put him on the list with these fake numbers, which allowed him to borrow money. Because people made assumptions about how rich he was because of being on the Fortune magazine when he didn't have that kind of money, Mm -hmm. which allowed him to buy other stuff. And, you know, it just kind of self-perpetuated. Which is why Trump did that. Yeah, exactly. Which is why Trump did that. It's it's time honored. He thinks he's worth currently around $200 million. Really? Trump claims he's got $10 billion. This guy thinks Trump has around $200 million. Interesting. It yeah. just seems like aggressive self-promotion to me. I don't know. <laughs> Two hundred million dollars. It's a lot different than being the richest man in America. As oh, he's yeah. often claimed. Yeah. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Trump's Twitter demands about illegal immigration ramping up, and we'll be remembering Barbara Bush minutes from now. Armstrong and Getty. Cool. All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Our longing. By the way, on that article from the Washington Post claiming that Trump's worth somewhere around $200 million, um, 
Romney's worth like 150, less than that, and he couldn't be president because America saw him as too rich. So, 200 million dollars is still a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Wow. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. You know, the Trump thing, it, I'm not surprised at all because of his whole uh, his whole image, his whole brand and his his deal is his brand. It's all about success and be like me and gold everything and the rest of it. So yeah, yeah, exaggerating his wealth, it doesn't surprise me a bit. He should. I, I you just, should be ashamed I, of yourself. I think it's how I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's hilarious how ballsy he was about it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He should at the end of his life drop all the pretense and then actually write the art of the 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 the, the my deal book. How I did it'd be fascinating. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whether it's women or making money or whatever, how I did it. Why I went with the gold, and I mean, everything I did. Why I said the things I said. Because it's, it's interesting. And he's now the most famous person that's ever lived on planet Earth. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump is saying the U.S. must get tougher on illegal immigration. He was tweeting this morning, despite the Democrat-inspired laws on sanctuary cities and the border being so bad and one-sided, I have instructed the Secretary of Homeland Security, not to let those large caravans of people into our country. It is a disgrace. We are the only country in the world so naive, and then all in caps, wall. He's, he's, wall. He, we are the wall. only country wall. that does We're the only country that does this. Yeah. Yep. Trump, Trump continuing with another tweet. Mexico, whose laws on immigration are very tough, must stop people from going through Mexico into the U.S. We may have to make this a condition of the new NAFTA agreement. Our country cannot accept what is happening. Also, we must get wall funding as fast as possible. He should make Mexico pay for it. I'm not going to pay for that f***ing wall. So there's a standoff. (laughs) What kind of a standoff? Young Canadian? Maine Republican Senator Susan Collins. Oh, boy. Old Sue. <laughs> do you, are you going to do your Susan Collins impersonation? I will in a minute. <laughs> Susan over the weekend was blasting former, former FBI Director James Comey for releasing that memoir during the Russian probe. Collins on NBC's Meet the Press. I cannot imagine why an FBI director would seek to essentially cash in on a book when the investigation is very much alive. He should have waited to do his memoir. Yeah, left, right, and center has come up with all of these comments. If you're all about law and order and justice and the truth, why are you throwing all this in the mix of an investigation? Right. What the hell? You'll be called to testify soon enough. Tell it to the judge. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that line you used earlier, James Comey? Uniting the right and left. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard it first from Mark Stein last week, (laughs) but they say it in the Chronicle today because he's in San Francisco tonight. On local stop, Comey unites warring sides against him. (laughs) Healing a divided nation in their antipathy toward him. You know, Jim, Big Jim, uh, Stretch, come on the Armstrong and Getty Show anytime you want. We'll give you a fair hearing or a fail hearing, uh, and you can... uh, you can express yourself, defend yourself. We'll we'll get into it. We'll ask you the hard questions. You can give us the hard answers. He's. You think he's shocked by the reception he's getting? Yes. Yeah. Because he uh, he is a guy who is somewhat in love with himself, as he admits. Was surrounded by a lot of people who went along with it because he was highly respected in D.C. That 
infamous incident where he stood up for all that is good and decent when some of George W's right. guys were trying to do the wrong thing and 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 the fact that he's he's tall, he's handsome, he's eloquent. The FBI loved him. Agents loved him. So yeah, I think he began to think his his feces were non odorifus. Hmm. It's <laughs> my theory. Boy, he uh, he really missed the mark, though. I mean, if you, if you've yeah. got if you've got MSNBC and Fox saying what the hell, dude, you've yeah. missed the mark. Yeah. Four presidents and three first ladies joined together to assist in laying Barbara Bush to rest on Saturday. And along the way, Mrs. Bush was being remembered as the first lady of the, quote, greatest generation. They had 1,500 people turning out at St. Martin's Episcopal Church. And during his remarks, Jeb Bush described his mother as someone who filled their lives with laughter and joy and... I know exactly what she's thinking right now. Jeb, keep it short. Don't drag this out. People have already heard enough remarks already. And most of all, don't get weepy. (laughs) Please please clap. Please clap. Jeb going on to add, The last time my mom went into the hospital, I think Dad got sick on purpose so that he could be with her. That's my theory, at least. Because literally a day later, he showed up with an illness. You know, uh, I heard it described as a beautiful speech. I didn't see the whole thing. But if Jeb Bush were to come into my home today... Say, Joe, we've discovered some obscure paperwork that had been lost. Uh, you have $40 million coming. It has to do with your great uncle, blah, blah, blah. Right. I wouldn't hear a word because I'd just be thinking, please clap. You're the guy who said, please clap. <laughs> please clap. His, his speech at his mom's funeral was really good. And I thought, that's, it's amazing he couldn't bring more of that out, that guy out when he was running. Yeah. It uh, wasn't the right time for a guy like him. And, and I don't like the idea of three bushes in a dozen years or whatever. Anyway, that's right. just kind of weird. Um, I had another comment. Bush family. Oh, they were married for 78 years? Yeah. Is that right? 70, I thought they just celebrated their 73rd. Okay, 73rd. Yeah. But that's, yeah. that's insane. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. That, yeah. 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 And Best what, friends and the they got, love of each other's lives till the end. They, he, they got engaged. He went off to war as yep. a fighter pilot. He got shot down. She didn't know for three days whether he was alive or dead. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, she was, what, 16, he was 19, I think, uh, when they got engaged, something like that. I've read a tremendous amount about their their early lives, believe it or not. And uh, when he went off to Texas to try to make his way as an oil man, they lived in uh, a hotel room for a very long time. And she was raising a couple of kids in the hotel room while he was off at work all day long. Yeah. Um, that kind of a start, one of the kids who ended up dying, which is a really rough patch. So they're right. living in a hotel, one kid sick and dying. I mean, it's not quite as glamorous and, and, uh, kind of bunk port as it is now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that grief over their child dying affected their whole lives, as you might expect. But, um, you know, I wish I had the, uh, hang on a second. Um, because I think wasn't he a bomber guy? He was a bomber pilot. Okay, because I remember I I tried to find it real quickly and I couldn't. Yeah. the the casualty rate, the death rate of guys who did what he did in World War II was mind-bogglingly high. It was like you know the submarine service during World War II, where the casualty rate was over half. I mean, it was a death sentence. Um, so yeah, the. The fact that he was portrayed as a wimp, remember that, yeah. and too patrician and the rest of it during the election, it just shows you the brutality of politics. He was, uh, you know, a, 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 a courageous, 
classy, athletic, mm-hmm. thoroughly decent human being. Yeah. We don't have any room for that right now. Uh-uh, not so much. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. So there's uh, there's a book out about why Hillary lost yet another one. And, and by the way, if you're that gal who wrote it, I can't remember her name. It's 2018. You couldn't get that book out last year? Come on. Anyway, but they make a thousand excuses for her. And the reason she lost is she's just horrific. She's what? Utterly inauthentic person, jivey, fake. Nobody liked her. You were talking about why Mitt Romney lost. I think with Mitt's money, if he hadn't come off as so jivey, he would have won. But boy, that ability to connect with the peeps is just, it's rarer than you'd think. Jeb didn't have it. How sexting can improve your marriage and how to get started in a marriage that includes sexting. Do tell. Coming up. Why so many people make their password dragon. Uh, Cops tried to unlock an iPhone with a dead guy's finger. These are all stories. Pull harder, it'll come off. No. They went to the funeral home and used lifted his hand. Oh, they brought the phone to him. Yeah. That was probably a better idea. (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. They're not sure if it's actually legal or not. This will go up to a higher court, maybe even the Supreme Court, or whether or not the police can take a phone and hold it up to a dead guy's finger to unlock their phone and get information. They did it in Florida. Um, uh, Florida, check yourself. The the police had actually shot and killed this guy, gas station run-in, something or other, but they said the phone's data could have helped him resolving another drug something or other anyway so they used the guys they went to the funeral home and uh grabbed the guy's hand and pressed it to the phone well his family's outraged and see it as ghoulish and we'll see if the well true that at least it's hard to argue with that <laughs> yeah that part's right but ghoulish isn't necessarily illegal hey we we're talking about donald trump's net worth and him calling uh forbes was it or fortune forbes uh, way back in the day uh trying to get on their list and the rest of it and his net worth. Uh, a note from John here. Um, he says, I don't know if Trump is worth a billion or $10 billion, but we also have tax return from 30 years ago when he took a $900 million write-down loss. You can't write off $900 million unless your net is at least $3 billion. His jet was $100 million new. The chopper, $25 million. His apartment, another $25 million. You cannot maintain those three assets on the income from the $50 million, blah, blah, blah. Um, or his net worth $200 million, the WAPO claims. You know, my only quibble with you, John, is that uh, that doesn't differentiate between his corporation's worth and his corporation's cash flow and his personal wealth. Because I guarantee his corporation is kept separately from his personal wealth for legal purposes because you don't want somebody to sue your corporation and take everything you own. Well, the guy's the point in the article was, and I, I have no idea if what that guy just said is true or, or not. But um, is that he's been able to borrow a tremendous amount of money on the idea that he is wealthy, and then he that he and then he has money to pay off other things, and then he borrows more money on sure because he yeah. owns that and right yeah. just keeps going that direction mm-hmm. yeah. By the way, that Pruitt guy, <clears throat> did you see as they've dug further into him? The guy, oh, Scott Pruitt, the EPA director, the guy that's yeah, running the secretary. EPA and 
I mean, the one that got the the attention was he was he was renting a, a nice place for fifty dollars a night from a lobbyist who wants certain things done with the EPA. Well, so they've looked into that more, and he's been doing that his whole life, going back to when he was in Oklahoma. <laughs> And he ended up buying this gazillion dollar house when he only made, I think he made $34,000 a year at the time. And he bought this gazillion dollar house from a lobbyist through a shell corporation uh, that turned out to be a guy who now works in the EPA with him. And the bank that loaned the shell corporation the money to buy that house, that guy's in the EPA now. So he's 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 got a lot of connections like that throughout. I his wish life. I knew how to do that. Me stuff. too. I'm only I'm <laughs> I only admire it. Again, I can be bought. How many times do I have to announce this on the air before somebody steps up with a checkbook? No, I don't want that in government. I really don't. But um, it's interesting. He's been doing that. He's been working that scam for a long time. Yeah. It's possible, by the way, for somebody to do that stuff that I don't like, and I agree with his policies. Mm-hmm. That's very possible. Yeah. Uh, why so many people make their password Dragon? I've never made Dragon a password, but apparently it's very popular. Each year, the Splash data has been releasing the most commonly used passwords. The annual list uh, has predictable entries like ABC123, 123456. Let Me In is a common one. <laughs> but every year, in the top 20, one has stood out being Dragon. And they're not exactly sure why. You would jump to the Game of Thrones thing, but it started before Game of Thrones and various times during its popularity coming and going, Dragon is still hung around. Um, the top 100 passwords have stayed relatively relatively stable throughout the years. Maybe the Dragon thing is Tolkien fans. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Smaug reference. Exactly. People choose passwords like... I have a very rare Mary Worth comic here in which she advises a friend to commit suicide. (laughs) Uh, People choose passwords like Dragon for the same reason they use common names like Michael or Jennifer or beloved activities like baseball. One of the things we've seen is that people tend to create passwords about stuff they like. I love you. Cheat. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. Got to change my passwords now. (laughs) You gave Sean's passwords away. Switch them all. I mentioned we took the kids to a parade, and there one of the guys riding in a parade had a cool like homemade go kart thing that my kids thought was really awesome. But it looked like a race car, so we had a number on the side, and of course the number was oh lord 69. no oh no yes. no 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 no. <laughs> oh hey, speaking of baseball, that's right. <laughs> oh, Maybe we'll talk about this during the award winning fourth hour of the show. But I had two. Ex- excruciatingly long experiences one taking my wife to urgent care because she thought she broke her arm Oof. and uh and uh secondly watching brandon belt at bat for the giants yesterday in what was the longest rec- at bat in recorded major league baseball history 21 pitches that's a lot ain't nobody got time for that it was, <laughs> it was an epic it was yeah. like a, a voyage at sea you had it, began, it began full of hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then there was a period of ennui and, and self-hatred, and then it, it moved to a climax. And then when I awoke, it was still going on. 16 foul balls. Oh. Yeah, I saw like 10 in a row at one point or something. 16. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you'll have to tell the whole urgent care story, because those always have interesting uh, side yeah, notes, usually. Yeah, yeah. The people that are in that they're there and what they're there for. Well, how not long really, other no? than the uh, six-foot tall 70 year old uh drug casualty transgender guy Mm. other than him there's almost nobody of note nothing to see um why do people gravitate oh i love you is one of the most common passwords in every language on the planet i've never used that for a password maybe Mm. i'm a bad person Mm. 
If you wonder why so many people gravitate specifically toward animals and mythical creatures in creating passwords, particularly monkey, which we have used, uh, which, like Dragon, always ranks highly. During one study they conducted, they actually asked participants to choose the primate who chose a, a monkey as their password to, to say why they picked it. Basically, people said they like monkeys. Monkeys are cute. <laughs> That's some good analysis. I, I like monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> kind of funny. You ever see that picture with the, the monkey in the suit on the phone? I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> some people said they had a pet named Monkey or they had a friend whose nickname was Monkey. It was I've all got very a monkey positive. named Pet. Blow your effing mind. Um, <laughs> wow. And Dragon is a similar thing. I like dragons. So there you go. That explains I, passwords. I which have, I have dragon figurines. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't make fun. The whole password thing, it it always drove me crazy. It drives me a lot more crazy since the guy who invented the password thing has come out and said that all these adding a number or capital doesn't do anything. (laughs) Not really. Just long series of random digits is what you should do. Yeah. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Or go with monkey one. (laughs) It's fine with me. (laughs) Monkey one's a perfectly good password. You can get into my account. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. Russian mobs already got my stuff, and they've had it for years. If you get the award-winning fourth hour, oh, you're in for a treat. Oh, my God. It's going to be sterling. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.